the Boston players love But Michael Jordan is not only the best basketball player, but he's the most exciting basketball player to ever play. Tatum fires away, pumps it in. The Big Three NBA Podcast is powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of the Big Three NBA Podcast with your host, H. Rob Blakely, and am I joined by my good friend from back in the day, Alex Kennedy. Woo, you think I have a lot of job titles. Let me go through the Alex Kennedy uh, Rolodex here. Let's see. We've got Chief Content Officer with Basketball News. Uh, we've got ESPN Contributor. And he's also the host of Running Up the Score podcast, which is a definite one you need to check out on all your podcasting apps and give it a good listen to. Good content there. Alex, welcome to the show, my friend. How you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. Uh, great guests on Running Up the Score, too, like yours truly uh, <laughs> tonight, which is dropping at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So, you know, if, if you if you hate me, come for the guests. That's what I got to say. Go. But it is always good to hang out with you, buddy, even if it's over Zoom. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just want to kind of just cannonball our way into the show here and, and really get into some of the big issues uh throughout the league and one of the i think one of the big surprises thus far has been what's happening out west uh when you look at the top of the west standings you almost think like is this the top teams in the west or is this the top teams playing for the playing game uh which is where you normally find minnesota which is where you normally will find in oklahoma city what's your take on the success that those teams that have you know in recent years have been pretty mediocre to bad What's your take on them taking over and, and being able to be, you know, kind of the leaders of the pack out West so far? Yeah, it's been so impressive. I, I think last year I was really high on Minnesota entering the season. And I think uh, actually at Basketball News, a lot of our staff, we were really kind of pushing the the Minnesota uh, agenda. But I think we were just one year early on this team. Uh, you know, Anthony Edwards looks incredible. You know, Rudy Gobert uh, is playing really well. I, I think uh, their defense has just been so impressive. And, you know, they, they look like a legitimate contender, which is crazy because uh, it is a significant jump for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, whenever that trade happened obviously the go bear trade obviously there were tons of jokes about the return and oh this just screwed up the value for all of their star players and that was kind of the conversation and then after last season people were thinking oh this might go down as you know one of the worst trades in recent memory now it's not looking quite so bad with how well they're playing and how the pieces are fitting together so i've been really impressed with this wolves team the fact that they're number one in the west right now is a huge surprise to me you know i thought they'd be better this year i didn't think they'd be this much better uh and then okc i've been a huge fan of their uh, since the start, you know, for a while now, but entering the season uh, on, on my show, we kind of picked our, our big surprises entering the year, which team would, you know, surpass all expectations. And I picked OKC because as we kind of talked about on my show, I feel like the narrative around this team is always the draft picks. It's, oh, they have eight first round picks over the next six years or whatever the numbers are. Um, and everyone kind of focuses on the future and what they could be, or, oh, they should make a big trade. They have all these assets, but there hasn't been enough attention on this group, uh, which is a super talented group. Even if they didn't have any picks over the next few couple of years, we'd be talking about the Thunder team as a scary group that could become a really scary contender over the next couple of years. Their team is that good and that well-rounded. So I love this Thunder squad. I think they're really, really fun to watch. Um, you know, it's not even just one or two guys, you know, they're a pretty deep group and they're going to be much better 
two, three years from now, uh, you know, obviously the, the money aspect of things has to be factored in with the new CBA, especially. And the fact that OKC's never been a team that's really willing to pay the luxury tax, but that's where all those picks come in. They can keep cycling through and having, you know, more young guys on rookie scale deals kind of come in and step in and fill that void if certain guys leave in free agency. But yeah, I think if they can keep this core together, they're going to be scary for years to come. Uh, and I just think they're a really fun team to watch too. You know, SGA, Chet, J-Dub, it's a really fun group. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been loving it. I, I think everyone kind of going in this year talked about Denver, the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Kings even after what they did last year to see Minnesota and OKC, two smaller markets too, uh, which is really fun for those fan bases to see them kind of rise to the top. It's been a, it's been a really cool story. Yeah. The, the, the Timberwolves has been for me the, the biggest surprise only because, you know, not so much the Rudy Gobert trade and its impact, but to me, the, the level in which that they have allowed Anthony Edwards to be the face of the franchise and how Cat has taken a backseat to that, which was necessary. Um, I was concerned that Cat would put up a little bit more of a fight, but Cat being Cat, he didn't put up much of a fight. Uh, when Anthony Edwards was clearly the alpha of this team, clearly the guy that has, frankly, embraced the reality that we're not very good and you don't think we're very good, but I'm going to show you we're pretty damn good. And I'm going to show it on a night in night out basis. Uh, he's not getting nearly as much, I think, conversational talk about league MVP as I think he deserves. But uh, again, for, for most players who are making that ascension into that conversation, it usually uh, you usually don't get the buzz until like a year after you probably should have gotten right. the buzz. Uh, and so he's on, he's definitely on track. Uh, in that regard. But the one thing we do know with absolute certainty at this point is Anthony Edwards will be part of All-Star Weekend uh, in some capacity. I, I just don't see a, a reality or a planet or uh, an existence that doesn't have him in that regard. Now, the same cannot be said for a guy that I know our, our Celtics listeners are clamoring to be part of the All-Star Game festivities is Derek White. Uh, Derek has had a great season. He's been one of their best players in the clutch, literally, uh, has done pretty much all you would want from a guy who's your fourth or fifth option. Uh, what's your take on just his all-star candidacy, which seems to be getting gaining some momentum as we get closer and closer to that, that ultimate decision uh, being made by the coaches? Yeah, I love the the fact that he has so much support and he's getting recognition because he has been playing so well, you know, he's a fun guy, a fun player to root for just with his contributions and, and his ability to impact the game on both ends of the floor and, and hustle plays and just everything. You know, I, I think it's great that we're seeing his name mentioned and, you know, he's getting a lot of love because uh, he deserves it. He should be getting his flowers. As far as the all-star conversation or, or whether he'll make it, I just think there's too many great guards in the Eastern conference. So it's it's going to be tough for him. Now I will say this. I, I think coaches should reward guys like this to show their other players. You would think they'd want to make an example of a Derek White and say, look, you can make an all-star team as the fourth or fifth option on a team. I, I used to say this back in the day whenever Jamal Crawford had that, I forget what year it was, but he had a great season where he was in the mix for an all-star uh, you know, position, even though he was coming off the bench. And I, my thought was you would think the coaches would want to reward Crawford because it can, you know, kind of show the other players, look, if you sacrifice and are willing to come off the bench, you can still make an all-star team and you can still get the kind of accolades that you want. Uh, so I, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if coaches, uh, you know, vote with him. 
even though I, you would think they would do that, I, I will say, though, in past years when I've thought coaches might make an example out of someone and show, look, you can make an all-star in this kind of role, they haven't really stepped up and done that. They don't really vote that way. So if he has a shot, it would be because the coaches want to uh, kind of make that point. And then also, uh, you mentioned it on my show, but if Boston is just winning so many games, you know, you look at the teams that have had four all-stars in the last what two decades it's been teams that you know have the number one seed you know number one record in the nba uh by a significant margin and it's like okay this team is just so good that we need to reward them by having three or four all-stars um so i think that's also a factor but if you look at the guards in the eastern conference it's tyrese halliburton damian lillard trey young donovan mitchell tyrese maxi jalen brunson uh lamello ball was seventh in the fan vote but he's obviously injured uh but yeah i mean there's a lot of really good guards out there so uh it might take for for white to get in it might take like an injury replacement situation or something like that but personally i am rooting for him i do hope he makes it because again i'm a big fan of his game i think he's contributing to winning uh and that's really what it's all about at the end of the day and he's a he's a a really fun player to watch so i would love to see him get in um it just it's tough when you read off those those guards and then also the, the fact that the player vote factors in too i think players Based on what we've seen in recent years with the player vote, they tend to go after notable names, big numbers. So that might be working against them as well. Yeah, yeah. The the, the player vote in many respects resembles the fan vote, which uh, I find a little bit un a little bit disturbing because you're literally giving uh, guys who you play against more credit than they probably deserve. I mean, if if you're voting for you know uh, you know like like a James Harden you know, over, you know, if you were in the East, you voted for James Harden over like a Derek White, for example. Um, I might question that vote because ultimately, is it about stats or is it about winning? And if it's about stats, um, it really shouldn't just be about stats. But often yeah. that's what it comes down to. Uh, coaches tend to look at more of impact on winning. Uh, are those stats impacting winning? And Derek White has a very, I think, strong case to be selected by uh, the, the coaches uh, as as an, as a reserve, no question about it. Uh, but to your point, uh, you mentioned how some teams historically in the past have had four all-stars, and those are teams that have been really awesome. The Celtics have four legitimate all-star candidates when you talk about Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, and, and Derek White. Realistically, um, Tatum is, is pretty much a, a lock. He's going to yeah. get, get it. Um, but from the other... Two. We'll just go. We'll look at Brown and Porzingis because I'm not sure both of those guys are necessarily going to get in. Um, what's your take on those two, and what do you think the chances of one or both of those guys getting in? I think both will get in. If I had to say, you know, which one I would kind of prioritize over the other, I think it would be Brown. And I think again, he. I, I think Jalen Brown is probably going to get more player votes than Porzingis. He's ahead. He is the on the players' vote. board, so that. Yeah, that helps too. Yeah, exactly. He's, I think he's a um, bigger name, more notable name. You know, Porzingis, obviously he had his unicorn days and things like that. But I think if you're asking players, hey, who should be representing the Eastern Conference, Jalen's gonna be pretty high on that list. And we see in the fan vote, he's number five, uh, you know, 
he he got 426,000 votes. Uh, Porzingis had 197,000. He's eighth. Um, so there's only three spots in between them, but that's a pretty big gap in terms of mm-hmm. um, in terms of votes. So I think he'd be ahead in terms of the fan vote and the player vote, uh, and even the coaches might might go Jalen. I think Porzingis might have a, a better shot with the coaches uh, just because of his two way impact, how tough he is to guard, things like that. But I think Jalen probably be higher uh, if I had to guess. So, but I think both guys can make it. There there is a chance. Um, the front court spots, there's definitely some some scary names at the top that are going to be locks for sure. But then after after Tatum, really, you know, you look at Jimmy Butler, we mentioned Jalen, Bam, Mikhail Bridges, um, and then Porzingis. I, I don't think anyone's worried about Kyle Kuzma. You could make the argument that Paolo Bancaro in Orlando, you know, is on the verge of making an all-star team. But if I had to guess, he's probably one year away. Um, so, yeah, I think it's there's a chance that both of these guys could make it. Um, I think three all-stars for Boston is definitely a realistic outcome. I think four is where it gets kind of tough. Uh, and to your point, it would just have to be they're winning so many games that and maybe there's a couple injuries. Like we said, if there's an injury replacement situation and Derek White can kind of jump a few guys in this list, then maybe they will have four. But I think three is probably the most realistic outcome. Absolutely. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only, $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support play it smart from the start gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234 we're here with alice kennedy of the host of the running up the score podcast Uh, we're talking about uh, the nba boston celtics all-stars and you touched on a guy who's on a team that I wanted to talk about, and that's the Orlando Magic. Uh, it was just maybe felt like a couple of weeks ago where they were looking like, damn, kind of like Minnesota OKC of the yeah. East, a uh, team that was kind of near the back of the pack, but now they're rolling with the big dogs. They've hit a little bit of turbulence uh, I, lately. What's your take on that team and just whether this is just a minor setback or is this just kind of them settling into where they probably going to be this year? Yeah. You know, I think they, whenever they were playing that well early this season, you know, I was surprised they were definitely ahead of schedule. They're one of the youngest teams in the NBA. um, And they're just a team that is still missing some key pieces. You know, you look at, they're a team that doesn't have any shooting really, or much shooting. They they attempt the fewest threes in the NBA and they shoot one of the worst three point percentages in the NBA. Uh, the spacing isn't there. Um, now I, I feel like I'm being overly negative. This is a really fun group with great, 
with great motor, I mean, a great motor, they hustle every single play. Jamal Mosley has instilled an incredible culture that culture there where he has these young uh, players playing phenomenal defense. And, and that's hard to do. Sometimes it takes, you know, young players uh, a couple years where they're playing defense, uh, you know, hard every single play. Um, but they're a really frustrating team to play against. They they have a bunch of pests. You know, they're going to at times pick you up full court. Jalen Suggs, uh, I think, is, is climbing that list of like most annoying opponents if you ask a lot of players in the NBA because, you know, he is all over you. He's uh, firing the crowd up. You know, he kind of has like some of that Patrick Beverly type energy to him where, yeah. you know, he's going to get under your skin and then the fans are going to go nuts when he's diving for loose balls and, you know, getting into little altercations. So they're a really scrappy, uh, physical, long group. So I, I think that's why they're winning so many games. And for a while there, they were shooting the ball pretty well. Paolo was shooting like 43% from three. They had some guys like, you know, Gary Harris that were stepping up and knocking down some threes. And uh, Franz Wagner ha- was shooting decent at times. Uh, but I think whenever it, it's, you can win some games when you're playing that way. But at the end of the day, if you can't shoot the ball in today's NBA, it's going to really hurt you and you're going to come back down to earth. And I think that's what we've been seeing. We also uh, have seen this is the toughest stretch of their schedule all season long. You know, they've always been a team that was better at home than on the road. Uh, we've seen them lose some of these road games and they're playing good teams. You know, they lost two games to Boston, who prior to that, they had won four straight against the right. Celtics. And, you know, I talked to Jalen Brown about that and he was like, they're a physical team. They're long. He said they're really unconventional and really tough to prepare for. Um, so I think that's a testament to kind of what this group can be when they're playing their best basketball. But then again, losing to Boston on the road, losing to Milwaukee on the road, uh, they lost to Philadelphia. They lost to Phoenix on the road. They just lost to Sacramento on the road. Like, there's definitely a trend here. When this team goes on the road, they struggle. They definitely play better at home, especially offensively. It seems like on, on their their defense is there night after night. Offensively, they're much worse on the road. Um, and so I, I think a lot of people were looking at this stretch of the schedule as kind of like a litmus test for this team. Like, can they go on the road against good teams and continue to play at this level. And they really have been able to do that. You know, they've won three games since December uh, 15th. So, I mean, they, they've really dropped quite a few games here and, and it doesn't get much easier. They're about to play Denver on the road tonight. Then they play Minnesota. Then they play Miami, OKC, New York. I mean, Philadelphia, it's, it, there's a lot of tough games that are coming up. So I, I do think that part of it was, they were uh, playing better offensively and they had quite a few home games there. And that's the next step for this team. They have to become more consistent. And I talked to Paolo about this last year uh, or earlier this year. Uh, just he admitted that the travel and kind of adjusting to the schedule has been the biggest thing for him. And, and that, you know, you go from dominating in college and high school and, you know, being the best player all your life, 82 game schedule is hard for these guys, even the top prospects. They're not used to that kind of travel and, you know, everything that kind of comes with that. And so he he mentioned he worked on that over the offseason and really tried to kind of get used to it and prepare his body and be less fatigued. And he didn't want to hit like a, a wall in the second half of the year. But you're seeing once again that he's struggling and the team overall is struggling with road games and especially against good teams. So, yeah, I think uh, this team is going to be OK. They have a really solid core. Again, they have a great culture. I love Jamal Mosley uh, for a while there. He was getting, you know, coach of the year love. Obviously, they've fallen back down to earth. but. Um, I think the next steps of this team are to get some playoff experience and then go add some shooting so they can have better shooting and spacing next season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to like about Orlando's future when you start looking at the the pieces that they have now and, and the fact that they're so young and they're still learning a lot. The the one guy that has just been um, 
I've found myself really wanting him to be the player that I thought he was going to be when he came out of college. And that's Jonathan Isaac. Uh, I know he's on the minutes restriction thing, but man, I mean, you talk about maximizing the minutes you get. I mean, he's basically playing fit, getting you basically five, six, seven points, five, six rebounds, a block here and there in about 15 minutes. Uh, and he, he makes a clear impact. Uh, is there any shot that there's going to be an incremental increase in his minutes or are we looking at basically 15 to 20 minutes from him the rest of the way? I think they're probably going to they're be they're going to be really careful with him. Um had he not got injured again last season, they might have ramped him up, but he got hurt again and and everyone was so excited. I was there for that first game back and he hadn't played in 3 years and you know, uh the team was all rooting for him and he had a great game, you know, defensively he was all over the place, blocking shots, getting steals. He was knocking down threes. And last year he actually shot 40% from 3 and that was a really encouraging sign right. for people in the organization. It's like, "Oh, maybe he could be a two-way threat for us." Then he gets injured again, and it was a significant injury. So I think that scared some people, and it's like, okay, maybe we pushed him too hard. Uh, he just had so many of these injuries now, and a lot of them are like little freak injuries. So I think they do want to really limit his minutes. Um, and then this year, he's really struggled to shoot the ball. He's shooting 27% from three. And so to go from 40% last year to 27 this year, I mean, it's been it's been rough for him. So I think that's part of it too. That's kind of affecting his minutes where you get the, the defensive – intensity and and blocks and they definitely use him in certain matchups uh you know like whenever denver came through they they threw him on Jokic for a little bit and and also threw him on aaron gordon like he's that kind of guy where you can guard multiple positions so you can kind of throw him out there and you know kind of go at the hot hand but i think the fact that he's not shooting the ball as well and, and the offensive contributions aren't there they kind of use him in these spurts defensively and, and then bring in someone else for offensive firepower um if he can get back to the point where He's shooting, you know, even 36, 37% from three. And this is a threat from three point range and can show over, you know, a full season or a season and a half. Look, I can play significant minutes and not get injured. Maybe they do start to trust him again in that way, but they even are, I've seen they, they've benched him for back-to-backs too, like quite a few back-to-backs. So they're just being super cautious, I think. Um, and hopefully, it, you know, that goes away and, you know, he can kind of stay healthy for, for a longer period uh, because he is a very exciting player and he's kind of perfect for today's NBA. Like if he, when his three point shot is falling, you want a guy that can go out there and, and be swarming defenders, block shots, get steals, and then go knock down threes. Like that's every team's dream these days. Um, I, I just think the three point shot is him in there. And then obviously the injuries have them being super cautious. Yeah, because, I mean, you just look at his physical makeup and just his mental makeup as far as how he approaches the game, what he's trying to do out there. He's the perfect fit for this generation uh, yeah. of, of, of a defender who can get you buckets and do a lot of those things. No question about it. Any conversation about the NBA and the regular season and the playoffs would never be complete if you don't talk about the Lakers, no matter how good or bad they're playing, because they're the Lakers. I, I believe they're they're in the play-in zone-ish range right now. Yeah, you know, just you know, LeBron is is continues to do LeBron things, which is just maddening. Twenty plus seasons into the game, that he's still able to play at the level that he has. But when you look at some of the issues that have come together for them to struggle, how, how they have of late, what what are some of the issues that jump out to you about the Lakers' struggles of late? You know, I think they they've just been really struggling. Uh, 
to not only knock down shots, but they've had some injuries here and there. I think they're also trying to figure out the best rotation. You know, we've seen them kind of cycle through a number of different options as far as the rotation goes. And I hate the fact that Darvin Ham is getting so much of the blame. You know, I, I saw there was a report, I think it was yesterday, that, you know, he's losing the locker room and they're frustrated about the rotations. And uh, I think the... The energy feels a little bit different. You know, this team has kind of went through tough stretches before and it seemed like they were, you know, they came out the other side and everything was okay. Now it seems like Darvin Ham's getting quite a bit of the blame and there's been criticism and, you know, some shots fired and, and things like that. So I don't know. I feel bad for Darvin Ham there. Uh, but I also, I mean, it's it's not completely undeserved. I will say that, you know, there are some issues with rotation and I, I can understand some of the frustration. Like if you go on uh, Twitter during a Lakers game, just the comments about Ham from Lakers fans, they're very frustrated. Um, and this team just hasn't been the same since like that, that in-season tournament championship. It just, I'm not blaming that, but this team looks different. And I don't know why that is, but they, they look they look like a much worse team. And to fall from, you know, where they were higher in the Western Conference now 10th, it's been pretty rough for them so yeah i mean it's kind of crazy when you look at a team that has anthony davis putting up crazy numbers you know 25 12 three assists three blocks one and a half steals lebron to your point has been just playing like lebron he looks like himself which is crazy it's, it's wild how consistent he has been and um just the, the hustle plays and the energy too like during that in-season championship and and you know some of the games around that you know he was out there making plays that, you know, you would expect from like a 25 year old, uh, just the hustle and effort. Um, so yeah, I mean, to go from that and, and have these kind of star level players and be struggling like this, anytime that kind of is happening, I, I think the coach is going to get some of the blame. Uh, and I, again, I think Darwin's a super nice guy. Um, it's a tough position when you're a Lakers coach because when things go wrong, there is so much criticism. There's more Laker fans than, you know, any other fan base. You know, you just mentioned, even when they're struggling, we talk about them uh, and that's all media. So when a team is struggling and you're the Lakers coach, there's a huge target on your back. And it's not just Darvin. We've seen it with other coaches in recent years. I mean, Frank Vogel dealt with that at times. Uh, and it's, it's just a constant. If you're in that situation, it's, there's definitely perks to taking that job, but that's one of the cons <laughs> you're going to be, uh, you know, in the line of fire, if there's, uh, if there's issues with the team. So, yeah, I, I think they can still turn things around. They have the talent, obviously. Um, I also think some of the young guys that, you know, I've gotten opportunities lately, like Cam Reddish, Max Christie, they've shown something. So maybe we'll see more of them. Um, I know fans are calling for more Austin Reeves. Uh, you know, he's only, he's playing, you know, less than 30 minutes per game. Uh, and I know fans want to see him starting or, or more involved. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they turn to him more. Uh, that's one of the gripes that fans have with him that he's not turning to Reeves. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be okay. They have the talent. Um, and I'm just not that scared. Like if you look at the Western conference standings, there's a, a pretty significant drop off when you get to, let's see, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up right here. Like after Sacramento, mm -hmm. if you told me new Orleans is going to, you know, fall down the standings or I think new Orleans and Dallas, let's put them in the, in the, in the pack, even though they're a tier below the top five teams, Houston, I don't think they're going to, you know, continue to play this well. Phoenix, obviously, they're going to they're going to come up, but like Golden State, Utah, Memphis, uh, I don't know. I, I think that they're definitely going to make the playoffs. I'll say that about the Lakers. Um, and then what they can do with it, that remains to be seen. But like I look at the Lakers and Suns, and I would not be surprised if by the end of the season they're higher in the standings than where they are now. Uh, and that team like Memphis too, with John Morant back now, they're going to climb a bit too. But yeah, I think Phoenix and LA, they're better than their record indicates. I'll say that. Yeah, with Memphis, I, that was my surprise team this year. But that was obviously 
uh, thinking that Marcus Smart would be healthy for that full 25-game stretch that Ja was out, and he wasn't. Uh, so they're they're definitely another team. Uh, with the, the Lakers, uh, the, the, to me, the, the, the interesting thing is that uh, they, if they get to the playoffs, which I, I agree with you, Alex, I think they will. I don't know if I am, let's say, in Oklahoma City, if I want to see them in the first round. Uh, I don't know if I'm Minnesota, I want to see them in the first round because seeing LeBron on the opposite side of the floor in the playoffs doesn't make me feel comfort. <laughs> doesn't bring comfort no? to my life. Does not make me feel happy, happy, joy, joy, and goodwill to all men. No, it makes me <laughs> kind of scared uh, It because we've seen LeBron do some pretty amazing things. And even though he's in, you know, he's on the north side of 20 years in the league, He's still LeBron, and he's still pretty damn good. The one thing about the Lakers, though, that I, and and again, I don't I don't know how to tangibly explain this, but the fact that this is becoming more of Anthony Davis's team, part of me feels that's why they're not that good, uh, because we've seen Anthony put up amazing numbers in New Orleans, clearly that guy, and they didn't win. And here we're seeing LeBron kind of force feeding Anthony Davis the team because it, which makes sense because. LeBron knows as well as we do. He's an incredibly talented player, but I'm still not getting the sense of where his leadership skills are. I don't get a feel for whether, you know, when times are rough, is he one of the guys that's kind of galvanizing the troops and bringing them together and saying, we got to snap out of this. Um, even, you know, just a completely different scenario, but in Boston, you'd look at Tatum, you look at Brown, but when they were, when they were starting to make a comeback against Oklahoma city and the camera pans to the sideline, you got Derek white talking to guys you got you know Al Horford talking to guys you had multiple guys who were showing clear and undeniable leadership and LeBron his leadership is unquestioned he's that guy in that regard among many things but who else is speaking up things go a little squirrely for the Lakers that's a great point and I think one thing I've seen people mention online too is you have not only do you have a lack of leaders there but then that's I think uh, amplified even more when you have a, a first-time head coach in Darvin Ham, and he has no head coach, no former head coaches on his staff. You know, it's all up-and-coming coaches, assistant coaches. No one that really has that experience either. And so, to your point, if if LeBron's the only leader on the team, and you have a I, I, again, I, I feel bad kind of going at Darvin Ham, but he is a first-time head coach with no former head coaches on his staff. That's a fact. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I mean, that is definitely an issue. And I think also just LeBron knows the stage of his career. He he needs to lean on other players throughout 82-game season so he can be ready in the playoffs. And I think that's why there was so much excitement about Austin Reeves coming into the year because we saw what he did with Team USA. He's put up numbers before. The playoff run was you know really impressive. And so the thought was, oh, he could really be someone that helps take the load off LeBron and put up big numbers. You know, right after that Team USA run, he was the, the favorite for most improved player entering the season. People thought there was going to be a big Austin Reeves jump. And then he just it hasn't been there. The minutes haven't been there like fans want. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this team should turn around and make a trade. I know a lot of people are calling for like Zach Levine or some kind of trade. You know, I, I think it's understandable because last year at the deadline is when they really turned their season around with that big midseason shakeup. So fans are like, oh, just do that again. But that's really rare. I, I think uh, continuity is, is very underrated in the NBA. The chemistry is very underrated. And if you make those kind of midseason shakeups every year, granted, they, they could work sometimes. You saw it last year. But I don't know if just kind of, you know, going all in on one of these big star players like Levine or Siakam and sacrificing depth and especially Levine, like his contract is so crazy. 
Uh, and I think that's why we haven't seen him traded yet. You know, there, there's teams out there that are kind of scared about Levine and the, you know, they, they're not sure that, you know, his stats and personal accolades can contribute to winning. And then you're paying him $43 million uh, a right. year and it's only going to increase in the coming years. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think a, a, a trade is really the answer. I think they have to figure it out with this current group. Yeah, absolutely. And and the point that you, you mentioned there about Darvingham and coaching and, and, and you know, full disclosure, I, I know Darvin going all the way back to his Detroit days when he was on that championship squad. Uh, we've had many conversations about he's a great guy. He really is. He, he really is. But to your point, you know, you really do when you're starting off, you benefit greatly from having some experienced voices on that bench with you. Uh, that being said, uh, and, and we'll, we'll end it on this note. Who would you say has done the best coaching job in the NBA thus far this year? Because there's a there's a pretty good number of candidates you can make a case for. I think I have to go with Joe Mazzula. I'm not just saying that, you know, to try to pander ah. to your to your audience. I don't know. I mean, the again, I've just been so impressed with the Celtics team. The fact that they can do it on both ends of the floor, the fact that I think they're the only team in the NBA that's top three in uh offensive rating and defensive rating. They are 15 and one when they have their starting lineup granted he has a great roster and nowadays we do see that you know a lot of times coach of the year or you know uh, it tends to go to to teams that have overachieved um and i know that's i mentioned earlier jamal mosley was the front runner at one point because everyone's like where did this Orlando team come from so i, I don't know there's been uh we've seen that in recent years where like overachievers have gotten the award but I'm just so impressed with what Missoula has done and uh, and just the Celtics team. Just, I, I guess I'll say that I'm more impressed with the Celtics have done. Uh, you can speak to Missoula and his strengths and weaknesses better than I could, just to be completely honest. But I would reward the top seeded team that just is. I, I, I think Boston is better by than every other team in the league by such a wide margin that I would give it to him. It's almost like your argument of why Derek White might get an all-star berth because they've just been the best team by by so much. I, I give Missoula credit for that. You know, he, he got a lot of criticism last year and Celtics fans were frustrated. Um, but this Celtics team looks great. So I, I might name him. Who would you who would you say? And what's by, wait, what's the perception of Celtics fan? Because your noise when I said Missoula's name was funny. What's the what's the perception? it's mixed with Joe. I, I think there, I think there's a segment that's warming to him and thinks he's a good coach. And there's another segment that thinks that this dude is just too young and too, uh, he, he doesn't make those critical in the moment decisions that work out that you look back and think like, damn, that was a great call by Joe in that moment. He doesn't make enough of those. I think for some fans, I would say for me, and, and this is, this only goes back to, I just thought that, he was the wrong guy and he clearly is not the wrong guy. And that's Chris Finch in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. There is no way in the world that the timber pups, which is what I've called them forever because they were always like these cute little puppies that were just kind of scrapping and hoping that they could someday get out of the lottery. And now they got the best record in the Western conference. Uh, he's done a great job. Uh, whatever they have done to convince cat that, Anthony's this is his team and you are an incredibly talented super good secondary piece and Rudy defend do what you've done in Utah and no we're not going to get you a bunch more touches like you want you need to defend that's how you're going to give us value his ability to get everyone to understand their role uh, and execute that role and just again be the best team in the Western Conference that's that's hard to do uh, particularly when you don't have a roster that on, on its merit puts you in that category. Like I, it feel when I watched them play, I feel like every time I watched them play and they win, they're overachieving. And at some point 
you you have to give them credit for not overachieving, but they're just actually playing good basketball. So Chris would be my guy. Joe, yeah, probably be, Joe's in my top three because I think he's done a heck of a job. I think he's and, and for someone who has seen him both from the, the time that he took the job to where he's at now, there's tremendous growth. He's gotten so much better. And, and I, you know, they played Oklahoma City. Uh, and there was a moment, you know, in the second half where Joe had to make a decision that I thought he'd never make. Drew Holiday was not having a very good game. And rather than sub Drew in when he normally would, he kept Peyton Pritchard out there, who was playing better. And recognizing the, I wouldn't say the hot hand, but just the better player in that moment, uh, that's growth for Joe. Because there are too many times, and he's, it's part of the criticism, he leans on guys who aren't playing well and sits guys who are playing well. Uh, I can't even tell you how many times Sam Hauser has been cooking and then Sam's doing the same thing I'm doing, watching the game from the sideline. I'm like, but this dude is like four for four in like 14 minutes and he's sitting? What are you? What are we doing? So those are the little things that Joe, I think, is gradually getting better at uh, and, and, and definitely deserves at a worst case scenario – to be a top three finisher, but I can see, I can, I can understand a case for him. Chris Finch I, is the guy that I would pick though. Finch was the other one that I was looking at just because they've not only are they number one in the West, but they have been in one of those overachiever teams that typically get rewarded in this yeah. conversation. So yeah, Finch uh, deserves a ton of credit. And again, last year, again, this Minnesota team, people were making jokes about the trade and thinking, Oh, they need to blow it up. So to go from that to what they're achieving right now, it is super impressive. So yeah, Finch, I would say those are like my, my one and two Missoula and Finch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, super impressive having you on the show, Alex. I appreciate your time. Uh, This is the big three NBA podcast. I'm your host, Rob Blakely with our special guest today, Alex Kennedy of Running Up the Score podcast, as well as ESPN contributor and chief content officer with Basketball News. Alex, thank you so much for your time, my friend. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me, buddy.